When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's the Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Ladies and gentlemen, my guests tonight are a two-time Pulitzer Prize winner and a national political reporter for the Washington Post who've written a new book called Peril. Please welcome Bob Woodward and Robert Costa. Hey, fellas, thanks for being here. Bob, always good to have you on. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Robert, nice to meet you, having you on for the first time. I want to say, as as, as I have confessed already, I am not fully finished with this book, and it's not because it's not a good read. It is really compelling. Um, uh, It's just that I have to close it every so often to uh, quietly weep. And then start it again. And I mean that somewhat sincerely because what really is upsetting about this is not even so much what you're reporting in here. Because having read uh, uh, Fear and Rage, nothing in here is surprising. While shocking and upsetting, the path was laid for the behavior that's in this book. But it is, it is, um, it is upsetting to read. And I was wondering, was it upsetting to write? Yes, we were, look, the theme here, and it was a discovery for us that uh, this was a national security crisis. We kind of thought all all of Trump was a domestic problem politically, but in China, Russia, and Iran, they said, my God, what's happening here? So they went on military alert and the, if you think about it, the three calamities that can befall the United States. First, a war with a major power like China. Second is the use of nuclear weapons. And the third would be a question about the legitimacy of the president and the presidency. And we found all of those. And so uh, it was... It was a surprise, and it was one of that the the problem of Trump extended globally. And if you get into what the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Milley, did, he saw this, and he's getting intelligence that the Chinese think we are going to attack them, and that if you're in the military, that's a nightmare. That is the kind of... uh, hair-trigger environment where there can be a mistake, uh, where, as Millie told his staff, you will have what's called a first move, a Pearl Harbor. And, and so, bottom line, we were going through a secret national security crisis that 
the public didn't know about, we didn't know about as reporters, and we're supposed to find out those things as they happen, and the world didn't know. The, the, you know, the, 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 the oath that uh, federal politicians take is to uh, uh, preserve, protect the Constitution uh, uh, and against all threats, foreign and domestic. And in a way, that greatest domestic threat was the president himself because he was the locus of the lie that actually led to the crisis on January 6th. And, um, Robert, I was wondering, you know, uh, you've been covering Washington for years. What was the most shocking thing that you uncovered in your research for this book, in your reporting? Well, Bob mentioned his third point about the presidency and just how close this country came. We spent nine months doing nothing except digging into this. How close the presidency came to maybe being thrown to the House of Representatives on January 5th, the night before the insurrection. President Trump has Vice President Pence in the Oval Office. And as you said, he opens the door later that night. He's listening to his supporters outside, and he's telling the Vice President that evening, wouldn't it be cool to have the power to not certify an election? Wouldn't you want to do that? It was the ultimate temptation of power. You say this is a system based on the Constitution. It is. But the power that was in President Trump's hands, in the executive branch, was used in an almost weaponized, according to our reporting, in the way President Trump's advisors saw the situation. Um, I, was, I broke down in the monologue what was in the Eastman memo, essentially. Yes. What were the steps that had been laid out for Vice President Pence? Um, the existence of that memo, what does that tell you about how serious of a threat this was? Well, it's very serious because Trump, I mean, still to this day is saying the election was stolen. And that memo, the Eastman memo, says, hey, look, uh, uh, we have this power and Pence is vice president, president of the Senate, can just get up there and say, oh, I'm confused or I'm not going to certify Biden and throw this country into a constitutional crisis. This memo was presented to the vice president's team. Vice President Pence is being pressured to read this memo. On January 4th, President Trump has Eastman in the Oval Office and says Eastman and uh, Trump standing there talking to Pence, listen to Eastman, follow Eastman's advice. This is not some law review article being passed among aides. This is directly president to VP. We have to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, I want to ask Bob and Robert about accountability. What happens to the people who perpetrated this lie? Stick around. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. the authors of Peril, Robert Costa and Bob Woodward. Let's get to accountability for a second. So all of this, this lie, um, all of this pressure being put on Republican leaders to not publicly call Biden the president, 
So you have a question of uh, transfer of power there. You, uh, a lot of them are actually going out there and saying, well, we should investigate whether there's a fraud here, even though, um, from what I've heard, talking to other uh, people on the show who work in Washington, that behind the scenes, nobody really believed it. Do, do, do you get a sense that the people who were perhaps not the president, not Eastman, not the tight inner circle in the White House, did the people in Washington believe that there was fraud, even the ones who were being sort of tacitly approving of the tactic? No. And, and see, what's interesting is the two most conservative Trump supporters in the Senate, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and Senator Mike Lee of Utah, big Trump supporters, they looked at Trump's claim that said, we're going to investigate. They investigated and said, there's zero evidence to support the election was stolen. And it, it's, uh, as we say, it's not Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer saying this. It's the Trump supporters. And but not go, publicly, just to him. Uh, no, well, yes. Not publicly. No, and but that is undermining confidence in the election by the American people and the world. It's important. Our reporting shows that the big lie, this idea of election fraud, was not some passing storm for American democracy. It's the climate right now inside of the Republican Party. These sources would come over to Woodward's house, to my house, and they would talk, some of these Republicans, for hours about how they feel they have no political capital to speak up. Even if they don't believe in President Trump's claims, they're not willing to go out there and counter him. That's the dynamic right now, ahead of 2022 and ahead of 2024. Bob, you've been in Washington a long time. You've reported on a long time. Have you ever seen a more cynical or destructive use of political gamesmanship? Well, uh, there have been lots of efforts going back to Anything Nixon. Anything close to this. this? This was a subversion or an attempted subversion of democracy, and it never stopped. And here's the problem. It continues. A reviewer for the New York Times of Peril said it's like the epilogue yes. is the beginning. It's the prologue. We are into it again we think Trump's going to run mm -hmm. and run again. He's yeah. got a lot of support. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he could... We <laughs> not to, give away, not no, to no. give away the end of your book. Okay. But the last <laughs> sentence is, peril remains. Yeah. Okay, a little chill, a little chill down the spine just yeah. now. And I think the peril will remain unless there actually are consequences. Here's my metaphor for this. J on January 6th, a bunch of people who were addicted to all the lies mm -hmm. stormed the Capitol. They were addicted to that drug that was being sold to them. But the drug dealers are not being pursued. And so the addiction will continue. Okay. It, it, it's, an, it's an interesting way... Uh, to look at it, and, but 600 people have been charged in that investigation. Sure. And we still don't... Who really organized it? I mean, Trump was the spiritual godfather sure. of the insurrection. No question about that. But to get 600 people to do the same thing uh, is very unusual, takes a lot of skill, and so there's, there's work to be done on that. The people who voted to impeach President Trump in the Republican Party, those are the ones who are getting out of the GOP because of the primary races. When you say, where's the accountability for Republicans? 
they don't feel any accountability because they feel they're right at the, the red-hot center of where the GOP actually is. So it, the it, only consequences are for the people who did the right thing? To, to a certain extent, that's exactly right. But Mitch McConnell, again, he's the embodiment of the Republican Party. And you do this so well. So McConnell, this, you know, from Kentucky and uh, running the Republicans in the Senate, uh, in the cloakroom would gather around with senators. And, do and then they mock President Trump. And that comes through in the book. I mean, this is a story of Republicans, even if they're publicly with President Trump. Leader McConnell, one of his favorite jokes to tell in the cloakroom is, do you know why uh, former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, uh, he called President Trump a moron but denied it? Do you know why he was able to deny it? Because he called him an expletive moron. Moron. <laughs> That's how you win Pulitzers, buddy. I know. I gotta learn. Just drop I the f bomb. Thank you, Bob. Oh well, but, but it's news. McConnell did. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. news. It's okay. Yeah. We have to take one more break, uh, but stick around because when we come back, I will ask them about a scene in the book that took their breath away. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game, headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy. Costa and Bob Woodward. Now, um, <laughs> Watergate started as, uh, as a burglary and then became a test of presidential power. How do you think presidential power has changed over the past four years and what view of presidential power is our new president, uh, Joe Biden, uh, faced with? When well, comes there's in? a... Uh, Incredible concentration of power in the presidency. It's breathtaking. I've written uh, books about ten presidents. Uh, I didn't do one on Harding because I wasn't alive. <laughs> but that's the only reason. And uh, power increases with each president. And Trump as president, uh, I mean, look at what he did. He, he defined not just the Republican Party or Washington or politics. He defined America in a way. And if he's got, I don't know, 30 to 40 percent of the voters in the country support him, uh, you know, he, it, it's a real... So what we're hoping is that people... Would, I mean, we approach this not from a partisan angle, but what happened? Why was... Trump doing these things? Why was he uh, having lawyers in there tell him things that just disappear when you investigate? People ought to think about that. Let's think about this in a nonpartisan way. Um, one of the things that's distressing to me is that when I read the book, I thought, I'm not sure even something this well-researched and well-explained and this explosive as, as the story you tell in this book 
And this is, you record the interviews, right? This is, you've got, everything in quotes here, you've got dead to rights, right? Yes, we, we don't disclose who the sources are. We do them on what's called deep background. We're going to use everything. But, but you have to it. know, like, Barr had to have cooperated with you. Because at one point, he says, thought Barr. How would you know what Barr thought unless Barr told you? <laughs> yeah. Well, there are many ways. He could have a diary. We could... You uh, could be a witch. Then we could be a witch. <laughs> We don't discuss sourcing. You don't discuss yeah. sourcing. Yeah, okay. We, you know, it was Barr. You know, Mrs. Yeah. Barr. How many of the people talking to you for this book are trying to rehabilitate their own image by saying, I always thought it was bad. I pushed back. Some, yes. No question about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the one courageous person who did something was General Milley. He said, I am going to... I mean, there, there, there is a, a scene in the book which took our breaths away, I think, when Nancy Pelosi, called, Speaker of the House, second in line for the presidency, calls General Milley, and we have a transcript mm-hmm. of it, and, and says, General Milley, you know Trump is crazy. He is, a, you know, he is a dangerously crazy. How are we going to control nuclear weapons? And Millie says, oh, don't worry, we have procedures and so forth. And she is pounding on him real hard. And it's a a classic Washington moment, phone call, and to have a transcript. So you see not the BS, but what they're really saying to each other. And then after the call, Millie thinks, you know, she's right. We better worry about Trump. And so he calls in the colonels and one-star generals and admirals who into his office from the war room in the Pentagon. People in the nuclear chain of command. Yes, and not just nuclear, but any military action. And he, he says, all right, we have these procedures. Don't take a call from the president without me being involved. Do you understand that? And he goes around the room. Got it? Yes, sir. Got it? Got it? Got it? Yes, sir. And now he's not seizing power. He's putting in precautions to make sure if Trump's going to blow up the world or do something that's against American interest or, in fact, against Trump's interest, he's going to at least be there at the table saying no. One, one of the things that um, is striking to me about the last four years, as much as the former president wanted to be a strong man, what do you think those four years and the, the two books that you wrote and the book that you and Robert wrote together... Uh, Robert, I'll start with you. What do you think these last four years and certainly the crisis at the end of the administration actually did to American power in the world? It certainly tested American power and whether America is going to be seen as the beacon for liberal democracy around the world. And and it's still an unfolding story about what is the idea of America? What does it represent to our allies, to our adversaries? I mean, there might even be a fourth book in this this series for you. You know, we're thinking of this. You know, we... (laughs) Oh, wait Do a you minute. ever want to write a happy book, Bob? No, no. You ever want to just write like a children's book about a snail that meets a rabbit or no, something? No, keep, keep your head on the table because of what I'm going to tell you. Okay. We, we are 
planning to do another book. We had fear. Right, fear. We had rage. We have peril. And the fourth one's going to be titled Colbert. <laughs> Bestseller. Pulitzer Prize. We won't reveal any sourcing. No use of the first name. <laughs> well, the book is Peril. It's available now. Bob Woodward and Robert Costa, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. Now you can feel like you're in the audience at the Ed Sullivan Theater with official Late Show with Stephen Colbert merchandise at ParamountShop.com. Shop t-shirts, mugs, accessories, and more, and Late Show Pod Show listeners can take 20% off with code TLS20. That's 20% off at checkout on all Late Show products with code TLS20 at ParamountShop.com. Enjoying this episode of The Late Show Pod Show? Then head to cohst.app slash late show or visit the link in the description to fill out our quick two-minute survey all about getting to know you. 